Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. Here we'll bring in different guests from across the diocese and Anglicanism worldwide to discuss topics that matter for your ministry and life today. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop, and today it's my privilege to introduce one of the newest members of our diocese and the president of New York State Right to Life, Christina Fadden. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bishop. It's a pleasure and an honor. Uh, Before we talk about the very important matters surrounding uh, right to life, the sanctity of life, what the Bible has to say about these matters, I introduced you uh, in my introduction as one of the newest members of the diocese. I had the privilege of uh, receiving you into the Anglican Church just a few weeks ago. Can you briefly take us on that journey? Yes, I'm very blessed to now be a member uh, formally of the diocese and the congregation Holy Trinity in Syracuse, New York. Yeah, I have known uh, your chancellor, Raymond Dague, for some time. We've been friends, and he had invited me a few times to come. And about two years ago, a little over two years ago, I visited the first time. And I was blessed from the first time I came to visit the congregation. And it just has been a natural progression, an organic transition, if you will, um, from a former congregation, but uh, to this place where I feel that the Word of God is being taught so uh, uh, sincerely and correctly and providing doctrine and uh, the sincerity of the people and uh, the devotion to our Lord has drawn me there. It's really been God's drawing me, and I'm blessed to be part. Well, we're so thankful that the Lord drew you to be part of us and to experience not just Holy Trinity in the diocese, but the wider Anglican Church. Uh, It's great having you with us. I introduced you as the president of the New York State Right to Life. What's the mission of the New York State Right to Life? Can you tell us about that? Uh, Yes. Uh, I have a little uh, byword that I say that I like to say, our mission begins when life begins. We're all about protecting human life from conception till natural death. And as part of that, our principles include reaffirming that all human beings are created equal and are endowed at creation with certain fundamental rights, among which is the right to life. We engage in education and providing accurate information to the culture, to people, to those who request it. We advocate for the right to life of dependent and helpless human beings, including the unborn child, but not only the unborn child. And we promote legal, political, and social and cultural reforms to get us to that point where we're respecting and protecting the dignity of all people. Yeah, that's just such a precious mission. I would say, of course, it's a precious mission, not only from a biblical perspective, but from every human life, whether you're Christian or not. Now, others may disagree. Um, But let me read to you for a moment from the founding documents of the Anglican Church in North America. That's the province to which our diocese belongs. In Canon 8, Section 3, uh, the, the canons say, and I quote, God and not man is the creator of human life. The unjustified taking of life is sinful. Therefore, all members and clergy are called to promote and respect the sanctity of every human life from conception to natural death. 
that's a provincial canon. Uh, our own diocese, the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, uses that same language in our own canons, the, the documents that govern the life of our diocese. Uh, how important is it for churches, for individual congregations, to take a formal position on the sanctity of life? Is it something we just need to make statements about, or do we need to take a position over it? Well, I think if we take seriously that we're all made in the image of God, that we need to be engaged on this subject, and it is important for, for churches to take a position and to be active on the subject. If, if not us, then who? Um, you know, we like to say that uh, without the right to life, the most fundamental right, no other right really exists for a person that God has created. So if we are serious about God's word and that he is the creator and giver of life, it's very important for churches to take a position and to be um, intentional about that in their congregations and with uh, the people who are in the churches so that we can change the culture. We're not going to change a culture by remaining silent on it. No, and that's so very true, isn't it? Obviously, uh, uh, soon we'll talk a little bit about how people can get involved and engage, particularly in the mission that you lead. Uh, one important way, though, of obviously a congregation taking a position is to educate pastors and ministers about the sanctity of life. Uh, and for them to teach about the sanctity of life uh, and God's uh, incredible gift of creation, our creator God, uh, over the pulpit. I, I'm, I'm reflecting, for example, on Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah, a young man, perhaps a teenager, called into full-time uh, uh, leadership, prophetic ministry uh, uh, by Almighty God, uh, wondering whether he's hearing and discerning the word of the Lord correctly. And in, in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, in verse 5, let me read it. Uh, uh, the Lord says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And that must have been, as we understand the journey of Jeremiah, who, who had so much discouragement in his ministry over all of those years, to go back to know, to hear from God, before I formed you in the womb, I created you. Uh, before, uh, I con before you were born, I consecrated you. Uh, this reminds us of how much God is involved in our lives uh, from the very beginning uh, uh, and even beyond the grave, uh, God's relationship with us continues. Yes, that, that's very, very powerful and encouraging and so encouraging as well. Um, I want to remind our listeners to Living Through the Word that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple iOS, uh, on Android, Overcast, and Spotify. If you subscribe, that's one way that you'll get these regular uh, episodes as we release them to you uh, from my team. Uh, Christina, this past January, New York State uh, tragically passed a bill called the Reproductive Health Act. Uh, can you tell us what that's all about, the content of this bill? What does it mean? Uh, to your members who uh, who are in New York and those who do not live in New York, because the the ripple effect uh, outside of the state of New York, I believe, has has even even now caused some impact. So just take us on that journey a little bit. 
Yes, well, it was really a sad moment for us in, here in New York, but it was a really uh, a, a signature moment, awakening up and awakening to so many around the country and around the world as to how extreme, if you will, how radical some elements of the pro-choice um, culture and the abortion industry can be. The Reproductive Health Act uh, went way beyond what Roe versus Wade is. Now we look forward to the day when Roe versus Wade is overturned. That's a key um, strategy that we would see it overturned. We think it was wrongly decided. It, it, it needs to be overturned. But until that time, um, there are, if you will, reasonable limits on the procedure that are allowed. With the Reproductive Health Act, what it did, it, it set up abortion as a fundamental right in New York, and that has all kinds of implications. So even though under Roe versus Wade and its companion decision, which is called Doe v. Bolton, abortions were allowed, unfortunately, up to birth under that rubric, this authorized it and made it a fundamental right in New York. And of course, the world reacted because the governor had uh, the the um, World Trade Center and bridges and what have you lit up in pink to, quote, celebrate the moment, which was profoundly sad and profoundly shocking to many people. Um, but if I may, I'll just describe a few more of the tenets of the bill, which is now law. Not only did it authorize abortion up to birth, it allows now any healthcare practitioner in New York to perform an abortion, which is very dangerous for the mother of an unborn child. Before it was only a licensed physician. It removed protections in the law to be able to prosecute someone for attacking the unborn child of a mother, which sadly happens often, and be prosecuted for illegal abortion. Also illegal abortion for someone who, uh, an unauthorized uh, self-proclaimed medical provider, if you will, that was removed from the books and other protections for an unborn child if that child were to be born or is born during the course of an abortion, it used to be required in New York that in its second physician would take immediate care of the, the infant. That was removed. In effect, it endorsed infanticide by removing protections for those children. So all in all, it was a very sad, uh, unfortunate Bill, there had been versions of it circulating for a dozen years. We had fought it off many times, many times by just one vote. But uh, a number of factors sort of moved and collided together in, in conjunction with elections and a larger political climate. And thus, we ended up with this terrible law in New York. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an incredible tragedy because obviously those who are not educated about what's happened as a result of this bill now becoming law uh, will, may well be taken by surprise uh, if they have just read one side of what's going on here. Christina, can you tell us how is it that you think we've got to this point? How did we get from the point from being a nation uh, whose founding fathers upheld the word of God? Uh, who wanted there to be certain freedoms to the point where we're now taking away the rights of the unborn. In your opinion, how have we got to this point? Well, I think a lot of it uh, has to do with, it, well, in part, I think the legislatures, for example, in New York that enacted this and the governor pushing it, 
it was sold as something different than what it is. So there was deception involved. There's been a long-term dehumanization of people who are dependent, including unborn children. They've been uh, called, uh, of course, fetus is a common word. That's a legitimate word, but contents of the uterus. Uh, the unborn child has been largely unrecognized, and that language has been accepted and promoted by, unfortunately, and often very complicit media, the general media in the country, is uh, in sync with the pro-choice culture. So they tend to promote the same language. And the dehumanization of the unborn child in this case has taken has been taken to an extreme to the point that the rights of a mother, this was all sold on women's rights, of course, which is completely false. If you look at the early feminists, they, they said abortion was the opposite of women's rights. Uh, but this is how there's, there's, a, there's a mismatch. It's like what is good is evil and what is evil is, is good. And I think that if people have drifted from the word of God and have drifted from um, uh, and drifted towards a, a culture that worships self, if you will, to an extent, then this is an easy step. And particularly for legislators who then tie their political futures to strong political groups, meaning strong financially, uh, such as Planned Parenthood, that support their candidacies, they, they become beholden to them. And I do believe that a lot of the legislators that voted for the Reproductive Health Act, they got themselves into a bind, some of them. Some did not even read it. We still hear that. And they were not informed, and they allowed this to carry them along. And they're responsible, of course, for their vote. But largely the culture has uh, moved away from the Lord, sadly, and been allowed to be duped that the unborn isn't a person. I want us to go back just again to the Word of God, because this podcast is called Living Through the Word. The basis of our uh, understanding comes from opening up God's Word. And if we think for a moment, we often only recall these uh, passages uh, in Advent, uh, where we're thinking about the birth of Jesus. But let's just step back to the Word of God for a moment in Luke chapter 1, where Mary, the, the, the pregnant mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And if people have got their Bibles there, they may want to open them up to take a look at the Scriptures. And uh, Elizabeth's carrying inside her womb uh, uh, a child who we would later come to call John the Baptist. And when when uh, when Mary visits Elizabeth, the child uh, in, in, in the womb of Elizabeth, we're told, leaps for joy. We're seeing the Bible here uh, clearly tell us that the unborn child in the womb of a woman is responsive to the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't imagine it was very pleasant uh, for Elizabeth to have an, a, an unborn child leap for joy in his womb or her womb. But look, uh, uh, the Spirit of God is at work in in the womb of of this woman and in the life of this unborn child. It should underscore for us in this in this exchange just how precious and important. Uh, the the life of an unborn child is, um, Chris. This past um, January, when that b 
bill was was tragically passed, you had um, uh, then uh, organized a, um, uh, a an event. Uh, I think later in the year, is it in April? Your team organized a lobby. Uh, for the day of life at the state capitol. Uh, two of our clergy were there. Our chancellor was there. I was hoping to be there. I couldn't be there on this occasion. Uh, why did you do that? Uh, and tell us about the event. Oh, thank you so much, Bishop. It was a wonderful day. We actually organize a Lobby for Life Day every year. We are the only uh, organization in New York that is solely focused on the life issues. Now that's a, a wide range of issues, anywhere from stem cell research to genetics to euthanasia, withdrawal of medical treatment. We actually do quite a bit on uh, healthcare policy in New York, but we organized this annual event to bring all pro-lifers around the state who wish to come to the Capitol inside the Capitol complex to hold an event in the public domain that is in the view of legislators and staff should they choose to stop or pass through and then fan out and circulate and have appointments with our legislators. So we had already had that date set May 1st and then um, this year it was held in May. And then we, we, uh, we then have to focus on what are the important issues that we need to tackle at that time. You know, we would like to think, or many would like to think that the New York legislature did this terrible thing in January. There was such a backlash against it, which was really organic and national. It was ongoing that they wouldn't, they wouldn't feign to try to do anything else against life the rest of the year, but that was not true. They are continually pushing to disrespect life. And uh, by the way, as a side note, the very existence of our event and being able to meet in the public domain was seriously attacked this year. We were canceled from the space. We were uh, told we could not meet there, but the Lord intervened after some time and they reneged and let us back in. But we had a wonderful day. We had 350 citizen lobbyists, citizen citizens come to advocate with their legislators. That was a very good turnout when you think of all the offices that we reached and that we got to that day. We spoke in particular about two um, issues at the time that were very high on the action list, the action item list. We we're tracking anywhere around 100 bills, but these were the high priorities, was preventing assisting suicide and going out and speaking about that, which we oppose assisting suicide. We, it's suicide. So we do not believe that anyone in the medical industry should be cooperating or treating people that um, in, in such a way that that's a legitimate option. We need to treat their pain and their depression. And uh, secondly, we were focused very much on a bill that was uh, aimed at cr crisis pregnancy care centers to force speech on them, if you will, that would push people towards abortion. It was forced speech disclosures, if you will. And I'm happy to say that our action that day, looking back, really turned the tide on that bill because that bill was moving quickly to try to attack the pregnancy care centers. And our time there that day, I think, was a moment that put the brakes on that bill with the legislature. We're 
In this uh, episode of Living Through the Word, I'm talking with uh, Chris uh, Fadden from the New York State A Right to Life. Chris, you mentioned there another matter, uh, assisted suicide. Um, this matter of us obviously taking uh, a, a life of its own across our nation and around the, uh, especially the Western world. I want to refer back to that uh, that canon in our own uh, diocesan constitution and canons, but also in that of our province, the Anglican Church in North America, where it says the unjustified taking of life is sinful. So clearly the church is teaching us that uh, any taking of life uh, an unjustified taking of life is sinful. Therefore, all members and clergy are called to promote and respect the sanctity of every life from conception to natural death. Not only do we get serious pushback as Christians uh, when we talk about the sanctity of human life and the life of the unborn, we get serious pushback in society from relatives, from friends, from colleagues uh, whose uh, loved ones are suffering with serious cancer or other diseases. Um, why, 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 why are we taking this position, Chris? Uh, because the pastoral side of our lives says if people want to die, uh, shouldn't we help them do that? And yet we've already seen as we've opened God's word that he is our creator. He gives life. It is it is his to give. It is his to take away. Uh, but we, we sometimes can get so terribly confused and the situation gets so complex when it involves those whom we love. Can you can you talk to us just a little bit about that from your perspective? Well, it does, and especially when uh, get difficult, especially when the other side uses language intentionally that tugs at our hearts, um, giving people dignity in their death, giving people their autonomy. Uh, it, they make it, they they package it in a way, of course, to pull at the heartstrings, bringing in certain people sometimes talking about their story that my sister just wanted to die, my brother just wanted to die. Now. To be clear, it's an established principle that people have the right to refuse medical treatment, to refuse treatment that they do not deem that the benefits will outweigh the, the risks. Um, they, they have that right to decide that, that they're end of their treatment program for a certain uh, disease or what have you. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking with assisted suicide where a, a doctor or other medical provider, if they have their way, gives a prescription to people on their request that hastens their death. They're putting a concoction in their body to end their life prematurely. Now, the, the reasons that people are can be tugged in that direction, they sometimes think that the suffering is unbearable. Well, thankfully, there is so much uh, research and medical work done on pain that really there's excellent pain management out there today. It just needs to be accessed. People are afraid of pain. They're afraid of losing their autonomy and their dignity of not being able to care for themselves. They're afraid of being a, quote, burden on family members and those family members having to care for them. And those are the things that we need to turn around and say, you know, it's a blessing to care for dependent. We are all dependent at different times in our life. And then it comes to the point where people say, yeah, well, I understand that, but I don't want to force that on somebody else. But what's happening is if you enable our healers, our healers to now become complicit 
in death, in providing death, hastening death, which is not peaceful, as the, it is stated and promoted, uh, taking all that medication, which is supposed to be by yourself to take it. It's not peaceful death. Uh, if we're turning our healers into that, that can be offered to anyone. And we're seeing that in other countries where there's uh, euthanasia has been uh, legalized in Belgium, in Netherlands. We're seeing the hastening of death and uh, assisted suicide is going to unfortunately be something that uh, depressed people will ask for. And there are not the safeguards in place to protect them. By the way, the disabilities rights community, I am so thankful in New York that the disabilities rights community, which is very strong in New York, has stood in the forefront against this. And I have seen interviews with them. We work together with them. Uh, they are on their, on their own, are speaking out, though, in New York to the legislators. I think this is one of the key pieces that stopped it in New York this year because it passed in New Jersey. It passed in Maine, sadly, this past year, uh, this past legislative year I speak of um, in, in, in our state capitals. And the disability rights community, when pushed, they said, yes, but don't you think this would be acceptable for some? Don't you think it's for some? And they said, no, it's always going to be inherent with abuse because you're looking at a person and saying of that person, you're no longer useful. You're just taking up space. You're taking up medical care that could go to somebody else. And they said, we can never stand for that. And we agree with them. We work together with Patients' Rights Action Fund and other groups to say the same, that we can't open that door because it will be abused and it's, it hastens death. And sometimes you don't know what God's going to do in those last days, those last months of your life. If you hasten it, what did we miss that the Lord wanted to do in someone's life? I've been a pastor, uh, Chris, ordained almost for uh, 28 years. Uh, over those 28 years, obviously, I've sat in numerous hospital beds, intensive care units in various places, mm -hmm. um, alongside uh, mothers who have lost children, uh, families whose young people have been killed in horrific car accidents, uh, uh, older people who have uh, come to the end of their earthly journey, and others who have been really struggling with this whole question of uh, assisting and hastening the end of their lives. And I would want to say, as a pastor, I'm not a medical professional, but as a pastor, the incredible ministry of places like hospice and others uh, and the medical community that provide care for those who are terminally ill and manage pain must be explored by any who are listening who are tempted in some way as a result of their sickness or the sickness of those they love uh, to hasten the end of their lives or to take a life of an unborn person. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, Chris, what perhaps anyone listening or, or uh, if anyone knows someone who's pregnant, who's considering abortion uh, can do. But sometimes um, your battle must seem overwhelming uh, in a culture that has turned from God and accepts and promotes the killing of unborn children. Uh, what strategies, what's in place, what does New York State right to life use to accomplish its goals? Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, well, I mentioned partnering with certain organizations and passing there. We certainly do that. We are there to defend the work and the right of pregnancy care centers for all of the places where people, so many people are giving of their time and their treasure to help save lives now. Also, those who uh, stand out in front of clinics 
and witness and pray. Those are all important pieces of the pro-life movement. And we support and work together with those and the niche that we can to help. Our bread and butter is legislative action in New York. And uh, to that end, we've just lost a big one that we've been discussing. But there are ways that we need to try to uh, push for legislation that will protect those children that we can now or we have a chance at protecting by legislation. This year, it wasn't publicized at all by the media, but the Senate did try to bring up a vote. They did bring up a vote on what's called a Born Alive Infant Survivors of Abortion Act. It was offered as an amendment um, by a senator in the, the minority now, and it was shot down, unfortunately. But that's the kind of legislation that we need to be uh, bringing to the forefront to try to push back against what's been done with this Reproductive Health Act. Another is the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Children Protection Act. That's in effect in 16 states now, or I, would, I shall say it's passed in 16. It's in effect in all but one, I believe. One is held up in the courts. So these are the types of bills or restricting taxpayer funds for abortion that is a constitutionally protected principle. And we need to do it in New York. We try every year to stop the taxpayer use of taxpayer funds to support abortion because whatever taxes support government monies, you get more of what it doesn't support. You get less of. So these are important things. We are also involved in political action. We have a two year cycle in New York. And, you know, in, in many ways, the legislature, I've alluded to it, is out of step with the general electorate in New York. If, if you had polled on the actual provisions of the Reproductive Health Act bill before it was passed, it would have shown that the, the, the New York electorate is largely opposed to late-term abortion and is largely opposed to non-doctors performing abortions. But that's not how it was sold, of course. Um, but, but unfortunately, because that legislature is out of, so out of step, we get these bad bills that then become a force down in the culture and of course, ending children's lives. So we need to be involved to elect pro-life legislators at all levels of government because our laws are only going to be as good as the people that we have in office to represent us. And I would say that's a principle everywhere across the country, of course, and across the world that we need to try to get people in office. It's a legitimate question. Where do you stand on life? We have a candidate questionnaire that we use. That's going to be come up, coming up largely next year in New York, where our state legislature is every two years. But we do look at local elections as well, because it's important in every level of government. So we're involved in the legislative, and people can organize uh, in local groups, we think that's important in their churches. Here's something very down to earth. We would uh, ask everyone that is out there that is interested, contact New York State Right to Life if you're in New York, contact National Right to Life if you're uh, elsewhere in the country, or even internationally. They accept you know, many international inquiries. And ask about our petition program. A petition program is a great way to circulate a document at your church to get people to sign up and to start to unite people. And then among people who care about the issue, you might find one person who says, you know, I'm willing to be that point person in my church. I'm willing to be that person 
who is the warehouse for information that I can pass along to the rest of the congregation. Because another important thing is we need to sort of all act in unity at these times. If we're all pulling in different directions about what we think is the best thing at any one time, you know, divided we fail. So... Well, uh, more information about New York State Right for Life, uh, nysrighttolife.org, and you can find uh, information there. Um, there are groups within our own uh, Anglican community, um, Christina, that are working also um, in this arena that uh, work in partnership with you and others. Uh, Anglicans for Life, of course, um, uh, the Reverend Georgette yeah. Forney uh, is a dear friend of our own diocese and uh, working well. Um, you know them uh, uh, and work alongside them uh, in many ways, and you're all doing the most uh, tremendous, tremendous effort. I do want to ask you, Chris, I know our time is, is running out, but I do want to ask you, um, if there's a woman listening who's thinking, I just can't do this, I can't, I can't maintain this pregnancy, or a family member or friend who knows someone in that capacity, um, what, what what would you say to them? What what word of help or what, what can you offer them? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Bishop, because there are so many who are facing a uh, risk pregnancy or a, a, a crisis pregnancy even right now. And there are many who have had abortions. They're sitting in our pews. They're all around us. They're our friends, our family members. And uh, those people struggle at times, too. They should reach out for help. There's a national organization called CareNet that's sort of a coalition organization among pregnancy care centers. I would say they can call our office. Our uh, voicemail is monitored 24-7 so that we capture any call, any time of day that we can refer you on, depending on where you live, to get help immediately. I can't. I can say in most communities across New York State, there is something there that we can get you connected with. But that is, it, it's important to know that there's help. You don't have to grieve alone. You don't have to face a pregnancy alone. There are many more people than you can even imagine out there ready to help you. That's not what is said of pro-lifers. It's often said, oh, they don't only care about the baby till it's born and then they don't care anymore. That is absolutely not true. And uh, I think that's a convenient talking point for the other side. You don't have to suffer alone. You know, even Planned Parenthood and the Guttmacher Institute, which is their former research arm, admits and says, states that lack of support is one of the number one reasons that drives women to abort their children. They largely don't want to, but they feel they have no choice. Let's be part of giving them the loving choice and option to know that they have support. Absolutely. And and again, I want to underscore uh, the incredible ministry of Anglicans for Life uh, around the country. Yes. Um, uh, I know that uh, Reverend Georgette Forney um, uh, has a story of her own. Uh, I would encourage folk uh, who are listening who might be thinking, I just, I just can't maintain this pregnancy, or if you know someone who's in that capacity, um, get in touch with a New York State Right to Life. Uh, talk to Anglicans for Life, anglicansforlife.org. Uh, and uh, there at the at the top uh, left of their screen, they've got a little button you can press if you're pregnant to uh, connect with someone uh, if you need assistance throughout your pregnancy. I'd also encourage you to talk to your pastor. If if, if, if talking to a male pastor is, is a challenge, seek out a senior a female lay leader in your church and say, look, I need some help. Uh, call out for help. 
um, uh, uh, the church can't help if we don't know that we uh, we are in need of doing so. And so if you're a member of a congregation and you're struggling uh, with a pregnancy, uh, speak to your pastor. If talking to a male is a, is a challenge, seek out a female respected leader in the church who can uh, be a support um, member for you. I'd also say along those terms, if there are members of the congregations who know people who are struggling towards the end of their natural life with pain and sickness, um, again, reach out to your pastor. Say, I need some help here. I need some help and some resources. Connect me with whom I need to be connected with. And uh, uh, if if your congregation is um, not accessible to you, reach out to our diocese uh, and we'll make sure to connect you with someone who can talk with you about those things. Chris, any final things you want to say uh, to, to our listeners on the podcast um, about ways they can engage in their congregation or at wide um, uh, to, to be of support? Again, I guess I would underscore getting in touch with, if you're in New York, New York State Right to Life and nationally, National Right to Life. We want to get people connected with each other in their local areas as well. We're a grassroots organization at our heart. That's our strength. That's how we're going to change things uh, very much so. And if you're struggling in a crisis, a lot of people, they don't. They don't anticipate they're going to be in a crisis until they're in that hospital bed, hospital room with that loved one. They're being, unfortunately, uh, pushed upon them. A lot of things the medical community used, used to not. For water and food, however provided, is always a means of nourishment and source of life, not a treatment. So we, we want to affirm people and know that they are choosing the loving thing. They should not feel pressured. But call us and thank you so much, Bishop. The the clergy support is uh, is just phenomenal, and those of us who are in the movement need your love and care and support, and we we are graciously thankful for it. Uh, it's been my great privilege and pleasure to have on this episode of Living Through the Word, Christina Fadden from the New York State Right to Life. We're proud of you. We thank God for you uh, and those working with you. The Anglican Church in North America has just released their 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Uh, I want to pause for a moment and pray the prayer for families that is found in that prayer book. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you set the solitary in families. We commend to your continual care the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from every root of bitterness the desire of vainglory, the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and true godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who, in holy matrimony, have been made one flesh. Turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents and so enkindle fervent charity among us all that we may evermore be joined to one another with the bonds of loving kindness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Coming up on Living Through the Word, I'm looking forward to talking to Dr. Jim Saladin about matters of doctrine and, and faith in the church and speaking too to a Muslim convert to Christianity, a man who was about to become a Muslim chaplain, then came back to faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that you will enjoy his testimony and story. This is Living Through the Word. And I'm Julian Dobbs. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. God bless you.